Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. This is going to be a tough one. <laughs> this is a existential dread going on right now with, uh, you know, with, with the club and all of the fans right now. Just not not a fun time to be a Chelsea fan. I'm joined today with uh, Andreas. No Zach today. Uh, he's in the middle of a very important bowling tournament tonight. His church league plays on Tuesdays, which is unfortunate when we play on a Tuesday um, that he can't join us. But Andreas, uh, I mean, I sound very depressed, obviously. How are you feeling? Um, Not too well. It feels like forever since we last won a Premier League match and – to be honest, too much negativity online and just trying to shut away any anything that calls for the manager to get the axe because it's starting to surface. It, it's that it's that time of year again where where people want to get rid of the manager. I I can't believe that's being talked about after uh, what Tuchel's accomplished the past year, um, but it is it is being discussed definitely. I still think that the vast majority vast vast majority like i'd say 90 to 95 percent of stuff i see is our fans being frustrated that the board is not backing tuchel and yeah. everyone having faith in tuchel but on you know understanding you know there's there are limitations in our squad right now with all of the injuries and you know, whatnot. And we have been frustrated with Tuchel's rigidness and inability, or not inability, but reluctant, reluctantness, whatever that word is, uh, to change his formation, switch out of the 3 4 3. But mm-hmm. we, we have seen the 4 2 2 2. It's just so hard to pick the right formation with the personnel we have right now. Right. Uh, and it all starts with the with the Chilwell and Reese James injuries. Um, and I think it's just a very tough situation to be in right now. Uh, I, I think I, I kind of understand where the board is coming from in the sense that if, if we were to go out and buy new players – new new wing backs new full backs there would be a lot of uh like basically our full back position will be bloated when Chilwell and Reese James eventually come back from right. their injuries and you know we're talking about th- and that's that's contemplating a permanent deal so if if we if our answer is alone there's just not availability out there in the market right now like, like, there aren't enough players that are available to be taken on loan, except for Lucas Digne, which I don't know how how that deal uh, went went over our heads. And he's off to Villa, or is that right? Yep, he already played. He already started his first match for Villa. How do we miss out on that? Did, did have, we, have you guys talked about that? I, I know I um, missed the last episode, but I mean, we haven't recorded since pre City, but. Essentially, I think we got 
priced out. One of those things where we weren't going to be paying a backup, almost starter level money. Uh, was it a loan deal or a permanent deal? It was going to be an obligation to buy. It was basically, yeah, it was going to have to be a permanent deal because regardless, Everton was looking to sell. So it, it was it was going to have to be something that ended up with Digne at Chelsea full time. I I get what you're saying in terms of the board being reluctant to to make new signings and that sort of thing. But then the squad we have left over is also their fault. And that's the part that I hope that the board can kind of have some sort of common sense this time around to to not be so quick to point the finger at the manager, which is the usual, because you're right. The Chilwell injury, the, the Reese James injury, on top of that, COVID, the small fatigue injuries we've had in our midfield, all those things piled up at an awful time. But at the same time, the board is the reason why we have potentially five left backs in the payroll come summer. The board is the reason why there's only one true right wing back in the roster in Reese James. So yes, I get why they're reluctant to buy, but at the same time, I hope that they're noticing that the reasons we're in this position is their own doing. Uh, Mistakes from our past in terms of transfers are the reason why right now there is a complete discrepancy and imbalance of, of what is left of this squad. But I, I think the more we talk about these two matches, the more we can kind of really get into the details of who or what <laughs> we're referring to. Yeah. Um, since our last episode, we lost to City 1-0 at the Etihad, and today drew Brighton at the Amex 1-1. Um, so we'll just briefly discuss the Man City loss. Um, we shouldn't be too surprised at the outcome, at the result. I think the more surprising thing is that we held City to only scoring one goal, um, which I would consider that. <laughs> a little bit of a moral victory even though like we did have some chances to put a goal away maybe come away with a point but you know even before the match it was uh, I think I thought the league was already over City's already won it let's just restart the season <laughs> and, <laughs> and go on to next year uh, but we did line up in a 3-4-3 Kepa in goal, Rudiger, Thiago, and Malang Sar. Um, no, wait, was it a 3-4-3? It wasn't. Yeah, against City it was. Oh, right, right, right. And then Dave and Marcos Alonso as the wing backs, uh, Conte and Kovacic as the midfield uh, duo, and a front three of Pulisic, Lukaku, Ziyech. Uh, this is the thing that really... I think is the one, you know, we, we did talk about Tuchel's being rigid with his formation choice, but the one thing that I really do criticize Tuchel for doing is 
like Ziyech on the left and Pulisic on the right. What what goes into that thought process when you have Ziyech, a left-footed player who loves to cut in, take shots. You saw his goal today. That's what he did from the right side. And Pulisic the same. He was, he was, he was not looking to create. He's looking to score. And, you know, he's cutting in from the right side to his left foot. He's not as effective. It, Andreas, can you come up with any reason as to why Tuchel would want to do that? Yeah, and this is not like a very clear reason. I had to scratch my head and brainstorm and go through what it, I'm trying to think of the Avengers uh, thing. It's like 14,501,000 possibilities to understand this. It was the only thing that could make sense to me is that. You don't expect Aspie and Alonzo to cover the full flanks of the pitch. So in my head, I was thinking, okay, maybe in Tuchel's mind, we were only going to be hitting them on the counter. And he wanted Ziyech and Pulisic to be extremely wide so that if they were to get behind, they would be on their strong foot to set up Lukaku. But here's the thing. In theory, that sounded great. But in application, there was zero, and I mean zero, connectivity between the back and and the defenders and the two midfielders to that front three. It was a Grand Canyon-sized gap between the two, and there was no way to link forwards or backwards. I think Kovacic was the only one that was able to find Lukaku on the run and it created maybe one or two chances in this match. But it that's the only thing that makes sense to me. You mentioned it. Each player wants to go to their strong foot. So maybe if you put them, if you flip them, and their job is to stay wide to find Lukaku quickly, that makes sense. But neither of those players, Ziyech on his end couldn't freaking hit the wide side of a barn with his passes on this day. And Pulisic honestly was never even found. So it just too much tinkering, perhaps. Yeah, because Tuchel is a smart guy. You know, as far as his 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 soccer genius, that's not something I would ever question. I just need to know what his thinking behind this is. And if you do look at Dave and Marcus Alonso's heat maps, uh they weren't they weren't really too pushed up uh they weren't pushed too far up on the pitch so maybe you are right and you know those those spaces that are usually occupied by our wing by our wing backs he will he's he will put lukaku i'm sorry ziesh and pulisic in those spaces to create right but then that leaves one guy in the box <laughs> and that guy is lukaku who right now is uh, just looking like a man who doesn't want to get involved. Um, you know, he had he had one chance in that match, uh, and, and you know, Alonso was open to his left side, and he made the wrong choice, and just you know, that was our real big chance that we could have uh, put a goal away. Um, but it, this whole Lukaku fiasco fiasco has. Just really got into my head, man. 
I really wanted it to be over and, you know, really thought that maybe it was overplayed a bit. But it just seems like there's something off with with him, with the rest of the locker room. Uh, and the morale of the team is, is just crashed since that stupid fucking interview. Um, I, I agree. Uh, just to touch on that, I think the dropping of the interview, the release of it came at the worst possible time right. because right before this the interview dropped, he was the best player on the pitch, hands down. He had come off of back-to-back scoring matches. You know, we were finally saying Lukaku is back. Now, all the attention, and it's not positive by any means because now everything he does is seen through a negative spectrum. Like, the dude knows this is being, like, this is the topic now. Like, the dude knows he's not getting any passes if he messes up. Like, he... I think that all that negative energy not only affects him, but now, like you mentioned, it's it's kind of spread to the whole team. Even if the, he apologized, like the hounds are out to get him, and and it's blatantly obvious at this point that he is too in his head about having to maybe prove that he's worthy or or damn kind of like regret he even did this because again. It was done months ago versus how he was maybe feeling in December. And it just no, – nothing good has come of it. Nothing. And, like, if you look at his numbers, he really played an awful match. He had a 58% pass completion rate, 7 out of 12 passes. Um, he didn't win a single aerial duel against uh, – Laporte and John Stones, who compared to Lukaku, are are should not be winning every aerial duel. Um, so he was won zero out of seven. He only touched the ball twenty times. Had one shot, that one shot, um, and just and then lost the ball nine times. Um, it just all added up to a performance to forget for him. And it, it, I think it carried over to the Brighton match, uh, at least for me, because I looked at Lukaku and was like, all right, man, like it's time to get it together, step it up. And we saw more of the same. And yeah. it's like at this point, I don't want to spend $100 million on a player ever again, like right. ever again. I, I don't want it. We can get the $40 million, $50 million, I'll take it. If it's a bad signing, whatever. But no more $100 million signings, please, Chelsea. We're yeah, better like, off <laughs> signing the, 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 the upper-tier players that are 40 to $50 million and getting more of those guys in. Just like we, we have another example of a probably of a failed transfer that's in the team right now. But I feel less harshly about it. Timo Werner doesn't score as often as he should and, and possibly isn't even Chelsea quality overall at times. But it's such an easier pill to swallow when he was like 40 mil. And, like, and you should, yeah, exactly, exactly. And did you see the quotes that uh, in the interview he did today? Yes, yes, where he basically said that he 
doesn't understand all the praise and support he still gets <laughs> because his job is to score and he knows that he's not scoring as much as the club was expecting like, when they signed him. Like it's the guy polar opposites. Yeah, the, the guy puts his head down and works. They, I hate to be so critical of Timo because he, he didn't even play in the Man City match. He did play in Brighton, but like Lukaku has the tools to actually be successful versus Timo, who is a one-show pony, and unfortunately that's not good enough in the Premier League. Pisses me off, man. Um, you know, just to wrap up the City match, um, the KDB goal, you know, that if, if that's the only goal we're letting in, I'm okay with that. You know, that was... Uh, Heartbreaking again. Every single time Kevin De Bruyne scores against us, Ugh, yeah. uh, part of me dies. So <laughs> I'm only left with like a few limbs left. <laughs> All the times he scored against us, but um, you could tell from Tuchel's reaction on the bench throughout the match that he really wanted this. He really wanted it, and it seemed like he wanted it way more than any other player on the pitch. That's yeah. that's the tough part, um, and but um, I don't know if you did. You have any final thoughts on the city match? Yeah, I mean, to, to me in the in the city match, I, I don't want to end it in all doom and gloom because I did think that Kovacic in the back line played a very very good match. I thought I thought Malangsar having to cover for Alonso, who got a yellow card in the seventh minute, was fantastic against uh, I believe it was Raheem Sterling uh, on Sunday Mm -hmm. Silva being back in the middle and then Rudiger switching over to the right side they played a fantastic game and you talk about like oh the type of goal we allowed this goal doesn't fall on the back three we got caught on the counter and and like you mentioned KDB is fantastic from distance and again, and a, they, miss, and a missed tackle by N'Golo Conte, which right, rarely which happens. Is, yeah, it's very rare. And, and on top of that, like, it, this isn't on Kepa either. This isn't like a Kepa blunder. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to hear that argument because it was such a like snapshot, quick strike of a hit. It wasn't like a telegraphed. I'm winding no. up to, to shoot it. It came out of nowhere. And again, I think those five players, you mentioned like goal players that didn't seem like they cared. I I think those five players can get an exemption because they shut down that attack for a majority of the match. And and I really was surprised, especially with Malang Sar, who had to, again, cover Alonso for 90 minutes. I I thought that was a a positive to, to come out of that game. And, Something that I was hoping would be built on in the next match. Yeah, I mean, Milan Sar played left back uh, against Tottenham, and yep. I I was so impressed by his play. Um, That's right, you didn't get our, to men talk about that. I think he's our best left back at this point, <laughs> and this is coming from a guy who, at one point, I never wanted to see Milan Sar on the pitch ever again. To be completely honest, um, but. Like, and I saw there was some article, I forget where, it was The Guardian, I think. There was a quote 
I forgot where the source was, but saying that Malong Sar would never play left back again. I don't I don't get the logic in that. <laughs> I really don't. But makes two uh, of us. Anyway, uh on to Brighton. We did see that change in formation with the four two two two. Kepa in goal. Um a back four of Dave, Thiago Silva, Rudiger, and Marcus Alonso. Um, then N'Golo Conte, Jorginho as the two midfielders. Um, and then up front, we had Ziesh, Mount, uh, out wide, and Lukaku and Cho as the strikers. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Lukaku already. Um, again, just absolute dog shit. <laughs> Looking like he's not... He doesn't want to be there again. Like these quotes that he made and later walked back on his play on the pitch makes it seem like he meant those quotes. He meant every word he said. And you could totally see it was just so weird. Like after that, after that Ziesh goal, like, I don't know if you notice the, the body language, I think like Ziesh, took a glance over at Tuchel, like not even a smile or celebration. Like Jorginho looked oh. like was the only one who came up to him to hug him. Like, yeah, that was I, just I, a weird vibe. I'm glad you mentioned this because the game, when something like this happens in a match where you're getting pounded for 40 minutes and you score against the run of play, that should be a momentum, momentum shift. Uh, Jorginho was the only one that came up to him and Aspie eventually like the defenders got to him before the offensive players did Cho walked over Lukaku walked over um, Mount walked over there was no sense of team energy there in that goal and honestly that's that was a very frightening thing for me to like see I agree with you like you can say oh it's just a celebration whatever that was bad like i think everything about that is a very very negative thing for for where chelsea's at right now yeah and <laughs> it's funny we're talking about lukaku and it just immediately we jumped into team morale um but again like his play he just needs to improve what he's doing i i don't know like he he, he before he would he would complain about you know uh, holding up like being forced to hold up play, mm-hmm. and then now he's he you know today he made way too like he made so many runs trying to get in behind that led to nothing, and then when he did try to hold up players he just couldn't like if that seems like a lack of effort because this guy is built like a tank. And he's strong as hell. Like, he should be able to hold up, you know, the likes of, what's his name? Lewis. Beltman. Yeah. Lewis Dunk or whatever. No, not Lewis Dunk. Uh, Durham Dan, today, Dan, I think. Dan Byrne. Um, but it's, it's frustrating to watch. I mean, the whole front four was ineffective throughout the match. We talked about Cho. Uh, or you mentioned Cho, he played at striker. That is a failed experiment, something I never want to see ever again. He had 
a chance that uh, Lukaku laid off to him. I don't even think he looked up. He just completely, oh completely skied it over the net. Yeah. Like, you, you see so many, like, world-class top strike and wingers in that position. Put that away, no problem. The dude had time. He had a lot of time. And he rushed it. He was nervous and didn't even get a shot on target. Um, we got a we got a Twitter question from or uh, from Kendall Higa at khiga19. He said Cho did worse than Pulisic versus a less talented team. He played zero f- balls forward for the first seventy minutes, then got into the game for about five, then disappeared for the rest of the game. Mount, not sure what I was doing. Mount's not sure what he was doing on that Brighton goal, aside from boxing out Conte. Am I wrong? So we'll, we'll talk about that goal later, but yeah. the Cho point. I mean, I, I'll start with Cho, and then I'll make my way through the far, full front four. Cho is not a strike partner. Cho is not an inside forward. Cho is not an attacking mid. He is a true winger. Cho needs to be operating wide. And, and and why do I say that? Because every run he made today was towards the corner flag. It was so counterproductive for a front two to be running away from each other for 90 minutes. A front two need to be like if if one front if one guy is running towards the corner, then the other guy needs to be running towards the middle of the pitch. It just felt so disconnected. Now my first thought was, why the hell? Is Cho not playing? If he was supposed to start in this 4-2-2-2, he needs to be in that two players behind the strikers so that he can make those overlapping runs wide and then play the ball back into the two guys up top. He does not – he is not direct enough. He doesn't have the confidence in front of goal. And and Cho's best trait is beating a player to the byline and crossing the ball. Why? I, I want to know why force him to play striker when Kai Havertz is healthy, and and why was he so willing to go wide when that wasn't the role he's supposed to be playing today? It's that, crazy. That, Sorry, I just cut you off. But when when the lineup dropped, the first thought I had is is Kai Havertz dead? I mean, he hasn't <laughs> played in two matches. And this seemed like the perfect match for him to start yeah. alongside Lukaku. And instead, Tuchel opted to play Cho at striker. It just, it doesn't make sense. And then, I mean, we'll get into the late subs later, but um, and, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and not even just Kai, you know, Tuchel was willing to play Pulisic as a lone striker, but then won't play him off of Lukaku. So, like... It, that we'll get to the Tuchel decision making part later. Um, then Kendall mentioned Mount and why he was kind of ineffective today. Honestly, I think Mount. The issue with Mount today was um, a result of what was he what he was surrounded by. Mount had Cho in front of him, who was running away from the ball at all times. He had Marcos Alonso behind him, who in my opinion, had one of his worst performances as a Chelsea player ever. And then Jorginho, who is also not being protected because behind him is Marcos Alonso, 
So I think Mount just was trying to cover so many deficiencies on what was the left side of the pitch that the same the version of Mason Mount in this formation that we saw versus Spurs never got to do um what he was able to do at, at White Hart Lane. I, I really do think that that Mount got the short end of the stick on this one. Now on the opposite end, uh I'll talk about Ziyech. Because he's another player who succeeded a lot in the system against Spurs and not today. Honestly, I think he did the opposite of what he did last time. Last time he was staying wide. He was taking the space of a wing back. He was creating space and time for himself to go onto his left foot and, and ping those beautiful long balls that we know he can do. But then here against Brighton, he was in the middle of the park the whole time. Every run he was making was in front of uh, Conte and and uh, Jorginho. And then he's covering space that Lukaku is supposed to take up, which then is the reason why now Lukaku is running down the flank instead of down the middle. So I talk about this a lot, and I mentioned this specifically about Ziyech because he is an older player, is that sometimes I feel like he throws away the tactical plan and plays for himself. Last time around the 4-2-2, we saw prime Ziyech. This time we saw the the downside of him where it's the ego and the selfishness. And, and like you said, there was a little bit of a weird stare down towards the coaching line when he scored. He is so effective wide, so effective as a playmaker. Then, But today he refused to play on the flank. He was so central that then Lukaku tried to adjust and then he was dragged out wide. And it's just, you need to understand what the system is asking you to do for the team to succeed. And that front four, just everybody was on a different page. And it was awful. Just, I I, I don't know what else to say about that front four. Yeah, I mean, speaking of not being on the same page, what the hell happened on that corner uh, to give up the goal? Everyone stood still as uh, I don't even know who the fuck came in, Adam Webster, to yeah. uh, just get a wide open header. I mean, credit credit to the service, um, but <laughs> like, yeah, that was as open of a header you will ever see on a corner. I think I think I've ever yeah. seen in my whole entire life. What what do you think happened there? I mean, at this point, just I I don't know if to call it fatigue. I, I don't corners to me that that's where like when we when we give up a goal on a set piece, that's straight up on the players. Like you know who you're supposed to mark. There is there's no need for a guy to be that open. He was so open that I truly don't even know who was supposed to be marking him in the first place. Yeah, no one even moved. Everyone stood still. Like, it was just awful. And and again, don't point at Keppa. That ball came in at like 50 plus miles yeah. per hour. Like, again, whoever was marking him needs to take full responsibility on that. Because one thing is like you trip and you don't get there or you lose a player and we're like, oh, okay, this player obviously lost. But there was nobody even around. Nobody was even in, in remotely close. This dude could have 
chested the ball, juggled it a couple times, and still taking a shot 10 seconds later and scored. That's how open he was. I And, and the, sad, the thing that frustrates me about the Brighton match that it didn't frustrate me in the City one is that, unfortunately, this goal was going to come one way or another. And the fact that it came from something so preventable like a set piece makes me want to bash my head into a wall. If you told me that Cucurella and and uh, I was about to call him Theo Walcott, uh, <laughs> Welbeck, yeah, and Welbeck. and the other guy that was kind of being a complete threat up front had a kind of a weird name with an M. Regardless, Neil Mape? the third right play. What's that? Neil Mape? No, it was before Ma- Mape came Ma- on. Jakob um, Motor. Motor. Thank you. Those guys. If it was one of them combining and scoring, I'd be like, fair enough, because they were being the better team. But a set piece, man, like act like you've been there before. Like you know what your responsibility is. And isn't that – that's how they scored the equalizer or it wasn't the equalizer, but they scored a, a – Yeah, yeah, it was the equalizer. Last game, right? No, yeah, it was, about, a late, yeah. it was a late cross from a free kick or, or something along those lines and it was Welbeck that time around. Yeah. That time, that time Welbeck beat, I believe, Christensen in the air. So like – Again, a contested header versus a wide open header, but still, man, like set piece goals are just those are just the ones that are are, are the most frustrating to me. Especially again, to not be completely negative about this match, Rudiger and Thiago in a back four looked extremely solid. Yeah, and like, but like, why does that? Why? How come in a back four? It, it works so well versus, quote-unquote, a better side in Spurs uh, earlier in the week, but it doesn't work at Brighton. Uh, I mean, I think this is where we're a little bit of both. Uh, there's a little bit of both here between players and coach. For one, playing Marcos Alonso against Tariq Lamptey, who is on record the fastest player in the Premier League, is beyond naive and stupid. It's criminal. Marcos, Marcos Alonso got beat when he had a 10-yard lead three times in this match. But ridiculous. And, and this time he doesn't have three center backs protecting him because for some odd reason, we played a, a, a true 4-2-2-2 this time around. It wasn't like in Spurs where in possession we looked like a 3-5-2 uh, sort of hybrid because Alonso and Aspie were both flying up and down the wing which again it's a the players aren't there for it like if you're Aspie and Alonso you should probably be a little bit more conservative with when you go forward but also goes to the manager why the hell are you asking 34 year old Aspie to run up and down the pitch against Kukurea who is like for some reason left back god against us this season and Alonso who's against Lamptey so if he's even one step forward he's gonna get smoked then again, you're you're not doing this hybrid system. So then Jorginho is playing in a true midfield two with only two guys behind him. So any sort of mistake from Jorginho makes him look three times worse, which is exactly what happened in this match. It's like, okay, so you've learned your lesson against City that we don't have wingbacks to play a wingback system. But then you go into Brighton and you set up your fullbacks to fail because you're asking them to move forward as if they're wingbacks. 
And then that just causes a domino effect on, on absolutely everyone else because they are now running with their like a chicken with their head cut off trying to figure out how to solve the issue of the space left behind by these fullbacks who are just getting torched every time they move. So to me, it's like, why, again, you got it so right against Spurs where it was like a hybrid and, and Aspie never went forward, even though he was part of a back four and Ziyech would then take up the space of a wing back because he is so good when given time out wide to, okay, we're all just going to run straight vertical lines in a 4-2-2-2 today and see what sticks. And to, I think the blame today is a 50-50 yeah. And and I hate to say it. I mean, you say 50-50, but I would give more blame to Thomas Tuchel in the sense that he wasn't able to get the players to buy in. You know, so yeah, the decision making that's on him. If we were just saying decision making and the player's performance, it would be 50-50. But you also got to give a little bit more uh, blame to Tuchel from his inability to, you know, get get the players to buy in. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, and it's not me saying Tuchel out. It's far from it. But I think he's getting close to losing the plot, to be completely honest. Um, it's And it's, it's not with every player, but it's with with a, a lot of key players. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so funny that the one player that has completely grown and become so much better, you know, confidence-wise and performance-wise, is Keppa, the guy who, you know, we, we never wanted to see play again, who's our backup keeper. Uh, yeah. He's the one guy that really Thomas Tuchel has gotten to and has has brought his morale up, but with everyone else on the pitch, I mean, this again, this doesn't go to our back line, like you know, the Tiago Silva, right? Yeah, like like Tiago Silva doesn't need any, you know, he he's just he's a dream. He doesn't need it, you know, to buy. He doesn't need the manager to help him buy in. He's bought. He's he's all the way bought in, but. You know, I think like both matches, they they came down to kind of similar issues as far as players not being on the same page. Um, and you know, just just poor decision, you know, poor decision making also on Tuchel's end. Like we said in the first match, playing uh, playing uh, Pulisic on the right. And Ziesh on the left, and then today, uh, the decision to start Cho as striker, and then being so late to bring on any subs after Brighton had brought in fresh legs in like the 60th minute. There's just a lot of stuff that I really question what he's thinking, and like I know we have this con- congested schedule. We play again in four days. Like, it's very possible that Tuchel has already given up on the league. It's, it's you know, he like, that is his last priority. He, his number one priorities are now these four competitions that we're still in, in the FA Cup, 
in the EFL Cup, Champions League, and in the Club World Cup. You know, four chances at winning a trophy, which are, you know, are much better chances than winning the league right now. Yeah, and, and that's that may be part of it. That I think another part is unfortunately like fatigue. I mean, we haven't had it's every time a player goes down, the person that's supposed to cover for that player is not fully fit coming back from injury. So I think we we just haven't been able to recover from this injury slash COVID bug. Uh, outside of Havertz, who we still don't know why he wasn't chosen or, or subbed in earlier. I mean, George Kovacic was rested today. Like Tuchel came out and said, I can't play Kovacic as much as I would like to because he's still recovering. Jorginho, for, for crying out loud, got a one-match break against City, but the man has been playing every single match. Conte, I feel like every time he plays 90 minutes, I'm sweating that he doesn't pull another hamstring or messes up his knee or ankle or, or something. Uh, Loftus Cheek is not fully back. So your midfield is not playing at 100% and hasn't been for a while. Um, then you're asking Alonso to play full 90 minutes. Like, what? where does that leave him? I better not see Alonso come Sunday. Then Dave is the only option on the right. There is no other option on the right right now. Um, Tiago, Rudiger, and Christensen can rotate a little bit, sure. But even they're racking up the minutes ever since Chalaba got injured. Um, and then the, on the opposite end and where it's not fatigued, it's the, the constant shifting of who starts in the attack. I think I saw, uh, a statistic that said that Lukaku has played in 11 different combinations of attackers at Chelsea. And that seems a bit ridiculous to me that. What, what are we at a little bit over halfway through the season mm-hmm. we don't know what the core group of of attackers are and and they're the ones that have been least injured if you told me like oh we don't know who our midfielders are i'd be like well unfortunately they're always hurt but the attackers by this point in the season somebody should be in complete form somebody should be in double digits and the crazier the crazier part about that is that mason mount who is an, an eight by nature is the closest to those figures playing as a makeshift 10 slash winger. So it just, I think Tuchel needs to like, I get that we have a big squad and I know that he's been worried specifically through this January period about the congestion, but like it's time to come down to who are the 13 players you trust, not 15, 16, 17 players, and, and we never know who the 11 are. Like, even Liverpool... I mean, wasn't that, wasn't that the case last year, too? Like, how, why is that different this year now? We, we, we had the same situation last year, and we won a Champions League. When, when we won the Champions League, it was Werner, Mount, Havertz. Like, we knew that that was the winning solution. Ziyech would come in as a late sub... Polisic maybe got a start here and there, but the the midfield, for one, our midfield was healthy. So, like, you could rotate Kovacic, Jorginho, and Conte as needed. You knew who your full your wingbacks were. You knew who your centerbacks were. 
And for the most part, it was the selected front three. It was the Werner, Havertz, Mount. And even if we questioned it, because we didn't even want Werner to be starting, he would get the nod. Yeah, true. So um, it's like, I, I guess my point is like, it's okay to rest one player. It's okay to rest two players. But meritocracy has not been a thing in this squad for a while now. And I get it that I, I think maybe there's a, a bit of hypersensitivity to 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 future injuries, maybe. And that's why the constant rotation and and plug and play and, and players in new positions. But at some point, you need to create consistency. That's what made Tuchel so successful the first time around. He eventually built a core group of players that understood each other. I'm not I'm not here to defend Lukaku for for not playing well, but to be honest, I don't think he's played with the same two guys around him in back-to-back matches yet. I don't think so. I I, I think mm-hmm. we've yet to see Pulisic even be a left-wing option to Lukaku. Like little things like that are are just shocking to me and i think that plays into the poll we had where we asked people what they're most frustrated about and 40 percent of them said lack of quality in attack mm-hmm. there is no chemistry in the attack and i think partially that goes to tuchel more so than the player's forms because a player can be really bad at scoring right now because he's just not got his scoring boots but at least he can connect the pass with the other two guys he's up front with and we can't even get that And something tells me that a majority of that 41% who voted for lack of quality in attack uh, had one person in mind specifically, and that's uh, you know a guy who scored 20 goals last year in Serie A in, uh, in Lukaku, um, who right. just is, is not – it just does not look like himself. Um, just just uh, an overview – or a recap of that poll, we had 41 people vote in. Um, nine, uh, 10% voted. Uh, the, the question was, what had you frustrated the most? We had 10% vote for fatigue, 22% vote for late subs, 26% vote for soft mentality, and then 41% lack of quality in attack. Um, and it, it's, it, that's how it's been, I think, this whole year. Except when we're playing against Chesterfield, it looks like. Um, but we're not going to play against Chesterfield every week because we're not in uh, League One right now. Um, but um, yeah, we 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 forgot to post a questions tweet uh, after this match. It was just a lot to go through, but we did get a lot of replies of people venting and kind of getting their takes out there. But um, here's the first one from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He said, we lost our spark. What do we need to do to get it back? I mean, even when we scored, it was a low-key celebration and the wizard was mad. Is there something going on behind the scenes that is causing our play, body language, and current form? I mean, we we touched upon this, uh, Andreas. Yeah. Um, but what do you think? I mean, I think it's the frustration. Like, I, I think, be, again, we talked about the players not buying into what Tuchel wanted to do. I think 
Ziyech had a moment of rebellion there. He wasn't doing what Tuchel wanted, but then yet he scored. So then he turned around and be like, what now, Look what bitch? I can do. Yeah, look what I can do. Yeah, he basically is having a big dick contest with the manager. And let me tell you something. The player never really wins that battle. There's a reason why. To specifically talk about Ziyech, there's a reason why he's not at AFCON. And it's because of this sort of mentality. Oh, yeah. Defying the manager. <laughs> so I think why was the the celebration bad? I think just overall frustration right now. Nobody played well today. And it's sad that even when we should have a moment of levity after a goal, it was still so depressing. Yeah, and uh, I just know this is my bold prediction, Andreas. And I know this for a fact. We're going to wake up tomorrow to a Matt Law expose breaking down what's going on behind the scenes at, at, at Stanford Bridge um, and just talking about, you know, the, the, the disconnect between Tuchel and certain players. And we will hear more about this ZSH like celebration. I know for a fact Matt Law is licking his lips right now, like just waiting. He has this article in his drafts, just ready to post tomorrow morning. And uh, it's, it's going to be the topic of our next podcast for sure, because when shit is going bad, it's going to go real bad. Um, something is happening behind the scenes. It has to, I, I refuse to believe that it's not. And it's just so like, I'm not, I'm, not so sad about the way we're playing. I'm more sad comparing it to how we played last year. That's what makes me more sad. Because we were looked so good last year and to begin the year. And now what we're looking at is just an absolute disaster and a shame. Um, so our next our next uh, question slash uh, comment. This one is from Tom Ashdown. At Tom Ashdown 15 he said it's not necessarily a quote who's to blame situation but the fullbacks are not good enough at the moment combined with this with some bad body language from Lukaku if we have our usual fullbacks we win com- comfortably also Brighton have only lost four times this season they're decent and we, we never gave credit to Brighton really yeah they're they're a great side and, and Graham Potter I've Every time we've played Brighton, I've, I've mentioned his name. I think that he is somebody that these upper mid-table clubs should be looking at. The dude has made Brighton overperform so hard. Like, he – I think Brighton was, last year, one of the teams with the highest expected goals, but then they had, like, the least amount of goals scored from that. Like, they create chances. They play good football. Like, I, I, I really like think the guy deserves more credit. Um, in terms of what Tom is saying about our fullbacks, I'm about to say something that's going to be extremely controversial, Ooh, and, and I, people are not going to like. But I don't want to see Aspie being a full field, full pitch fullback ever again. Aspie is fantastic defending, but Aspie is not good playing out of pressure when he's a fullback, and he's not good at finishing off an attack. 
he is awkward in the final third. Like, oh, but remember how good his crossing is? His good crossing is not by the byline. His good crossing is when he's at the right center back. I, I don't think Aspie should be viewed as a right back in the Premier League, period. As a right wing back, as a defensive one, maybe. And that's because he has a center back behind him and, and he has some protection. But he's no longer the Aspie that can run wild for 90 minutes. Age catches up. Now, Alonzo, we all know Alonzo's limited as hell. And if it wasn't for his salary, he probably would have been moved by now. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think like Aspie needs to be a third center back and at most a backup right wing back. I don't, he is not fit enough for a full right back position where he needs to be up and down the flank. All right. Next comment. This one is from Ronnie Ashworth at CFC underscore Ronnie. He said, whole team lacks goals. No one wants to shoot. End of the season, there should be at least three players in double figures. Declan Rice and Holland would transform the side. I know Tammy wasn't the answer, but he scores goals. Oh, and we really need our wing backs back fit. <laughs> so I think that's a reoccurring comment in almost all of our tweets to us. And I mean, we, we couldn't agree more. Right. And again, shame on the board for thinking back in December that Chilwell was for sure going to be back and not preparing a plan B um, on that end. And shame on them for in the summer when Tuchel wanted another right wing back, they didn't give him one. Just throwing that out there. Yep, we spent $90 million on Lukaku. Yes, <laughs> I'm calling him Lukaku now. That, that, until he proves himself wrong, that's what he is. Um, Erling Holland looks like that that uh, that ship has sailed. Yeah, but you I mean the, the decision of where he was going to play will be made soon. We're not getting him. We're not <laughs> spending another hundred. I mean, what's his price tag going to be? Hundred seventy-five. His buyout is seventy-five. Oh right. Yeah, we could have spent that on uh, <laughs> the Lukaku money. We could have spent that there, but I don't know. I don't, it's it's. We're not getting them. Um, this next one's from Andrew Turney at Andy21074. He said, Our problem is our approach play is too slow. By the time we have passed it to the 20-yard box, the oppo have gotten eight or nine men behind the ball. We can't create clear-cut chances and pass it around the edge of the box before hoping a cross will pin ball to someone. Then, or by then, everyone marked up, and it ends up cleared, and we begin the same motion of recycle and camp out on the edge of the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't he, – he's nailed it right on the head. The amount of times that the ball would get all the way up to Cho, and then he just passed it backwards. Yes, yes. And like, like, I can see that. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm okay with the guys in the midfield doing that, like mm-hmm. Jorginho and, and – and, uh, Kovacic, that's fine. Like resetting play, passing it back to the center backs. But the fact that Cho is doing that almost every time he receives the ball and playing as a striker is is really it's unforgivable. I think it's it's, yeah. it's baffling. It's it's a matter of it's it's passive 
from the so so we're playing a front four essentially. If Cho or Lukaku get stood up, then Mountain Ziyech need to be making runs behind to create space, and then the only options backwards should be the double pivot. I think it's so lackadaisical, and everyone just wants to receive the ball to feet. Like nobody's willing to make the risky run, even if it's a decoy. Like it's not happening. Everybody just stands and waits. It, it looks like uh, the Houston Rockets when James Harden was here. James Harden gets the ball, and then everybody waits and just waits to see if it's their turn to receive the ball. That's all the attack has been recently, and that's what kind of kills us in the league. And, and I, I'm going to bring this back again for like the 357th time. This is why Chelsea is struggling in the league, and they don't struggle in a cup. In a league, teams like Brighton, teams like Burnley, Newcastle, they pack the box because they think all I need is one chance. One chance, and I can steal three points or maybe get a draw. Meanwhile, in a cup game, nobody's going to just sit and defend and, and let the other team come at them for 90 minutes. So then there's more space for us to go into. As a team, you need to learn how to do that. Part of it is the manager just teaching those sort of runs. Another part of it is familiarity with your teammates to expect those runs, which I alluded to we don't have at all. But... Yes, Andrew, you're right. That is exactly what our offense looks like when we're not hitting a team in the transition. Um, this next question, this is a good one from Michael Conan at mconan1789. Gives us a good opportunity to kind of evaluate uh, our loan strategy. Uh, he said, loan army hurting Chelsea? We let talents like Billy, Connor, Colwell go for a year and leave us with players like Alonzo. And now we're fighting to get the loanee back. Should Tuchel and the board do a better job at using these guys? Maybe it's time to stop loaning every 21-year-old. These guys aren't even 21, by the way. They're younger than that. Yeah. They're all U20s. Um, I mean, I think COVID has shown that everyone is going to get minutes. I Gilmore is hurt right now. Connor Gallagher... Like certain players that need the first team minutes, for example, Gallagher going and, and Armando Broja going on loan, those make sense. But Billy Gilmore, like you put him in the worst team in the Premier League and you thought that that was going to make him flourish. They were obviously like now firing a manager. He could have stayed. Like every time that Jorginho got hurt or needed a break, there you have like a similar style player to go there. Um, Livramento you could have just kind of held on for one season maybe he walks kind of like how Tariq Lamptey did but Reese James goes down boom Livramento could have been playing like sometimes it's okay to keep those guys and I'm sure the club is going to look at it and, and start bringing in those guys more but they need to get rid of that Deadwood I referenced earlier too you still have your Marcos Alonso. You still have, you know, 60 center backs in the roster right now. Emerson is still a player that we own. Like, once we finally get rid of all these random contracts that we gave out at some point in the past four years, we should be going this route that Michael is talking about. Uh, like Chalaba, for example. Chalaba mm -hmm. this year. He could have been on loan. Milan Saar could have been on loan by now. Now they're well, both important squad players 
I don't know. I think that we shouldn't re like reconsider our loan policy. I think if anything, this year is an outlier. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, it it required a lot of good foresight by the board to consider. Oh, what if a new COVID variant comes out and uh, is very uh, what's the word? Uh, Infectious. Yes, yes. And uh, you know, we're gonna have players in and out of our lineup every week. So right. don't, you know, like that, that's something that you can't really foresee. Um, I don't think that we should reconsider our loan strategy. Like it's way more important. You know, you, you, you talk about uh, how good uh, Cobham's been for, been for us in our current squad, all these young players, they've all played on loan and they've gotten better because of that. That yeah. wouldn't have happened if, they were, you know, with the squad and barely, you know, coming in, you know, for for some cup matches and stuff like that. Like, right. It's very important to their development to loan them out um, and to get that playing time. But um, I think the the one that I agree with you is the Billy Gilmore one. Like, I I thought even coming into the season there was opportunity for him to play. Mm-hmm. But um, and then the decision of where to loan him was not a very good one either. But um, other than that, I think like this is just business as usual. This is how every club runs their loan army, and uh, it's worked out for us. Like there's no reason to change yeah. it up now. Maybe you're right. I, I maybe I don't mean like straight from the academy year now the the backup right back, but you know, go on your loan. And then Chelsea need to be able to, like I said, right now they just can't bring these guys back immediately. And that's when the second loan comes. And that's because, again, Chilwell's our main left wing back, but then you have Alonzo and Emerson still in the payroll. So then if you – and you have Ian Motson also on loan. So then it's like, okay, we would like for Ian Motson to be the second string guy, but we're paying Alonzo starting player wages mm-hmm. and we can't get anybody to take Emerson. So then – that's where the squad building and, and those things need to come together. And I know um, Marina's a great negotiator and all that, but maybe that's where the club needs to um, take a page out of City and Liverpool. And that number one, they kept their manager for more than a season and a half. You know, they're all they're both now a little over five years on the job, so. They they've been there's consistency in the manager position and then there's a GM or sorry sporting director in in terms of football that sees eye to eye with what the manager is trying to implement and the signings aren't these quick fire okay this is the new trendy name but instead <laughs> Lukaku <laughs> sorry what <laughs> right it's the player that fits what you're trying to do and and then you don't have the situation we have where. We have one wing back. We have one full back. We have one center back that can only play in a back three. We have one striker that has to play in a strike partnership. We have another striker that can only play if the ball sent to him over the top. Like we have such so many puzzle pieces that don't fit into one cohesive puzzle. There are solutions for other puzzles that are no longer here. There's Conte players. There's Sari players. There's Lampard players. And, and, 
unfortunately, we ha- we don't think I don't think we've seen a Tuchel player be brought in just yet. So Mm-mm. I think if we want to see league success, because I, again, I think that's the one kind of a uh, kryptonite to Chelsea's current. Uh, how do you say this? Uh, kind of like a. Sorry that I keep eyeing. I'm, it's in the tip of my tongue. Structural plan. You need to have an identity that lasts tests of time. And that means you need to buy into your manager on a long-term basis to start. All right. Let's let's look ahead. Spurs preview. Will we play them for the third time this month? Uh, so we become very friendly with them. Um, not, not in the traditional sense, but, um, we, we've looked pretty decent against them the first two times, first, uh, two nil win, and then a one nil win a little bit shaky the second time. But, um, you know, just put, to put things in perspective of how, how many points we've dropped, um, if Spurs wins, uh, all of their matches that that need to have been made up, um, they'd be ahead of Chelsea in the table right now. So it it is important. This is a very important match for us right now. Um, so we saw the four two 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 the first time around. We saw the three four three. Wait, no, we saw both throughout both the matches. Um, so at this point, where does Tuchel go, Andreas? Uh, I I'm struggling. I I'd say I'd say you go to the four two 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 again, but you go to the one that transitions into a back three, and you go with Malangsar at left back, not Marcos Alonso, and you bring back Mateo Kovacic into the double pivot. I think. You need to play. You need to bench Lukaku in this weekend. You have to. Lukaku cannot start Sunday. Ziyech cannot start Sunday. It's time to start a meritocracy, and and start getting players who are not like actually playing well, but also playing to what the tactics are asking. That's what I want to see this weekend, and hopefully it's in a four-two-two-two. Perhaps we see Kai and Timo start up top. I'm for I'm forgiving enough as long as it's Kai and Lukaku, but I still think part of me wants Lukaku and Ziyech to both start on the bench. I'm with you on that one, um, in the sense that I would like to see because like the first match, um, we did see Lukaku and Kai Havertz together up front, and I thought it looked pretty good. Um, and I mean, at least Kai Havertz looked good. Lukaku did not look that great. But um, fuck it, let let's let's get Timo Werner back in there, playing striker. I mean, it's he's better centrally, um, at least you know because he can only run in a straight line. At least if he's in the center, he can he'll be running towards the goal and not towards the byline, um, <laughs> just to lose the ball. Um, but I think I'm with you on that. Um, I would like to see Pulisic. Um, like maybe he can play as one of the strikers as well. Um, but you know maybe out wide. But I want to see Malang Sar back at left back. Like that—that's the one thing I want to see again. 
Because, again, I think at this point of time, he's our best left back. And I do. I just want to see more of it. Like I need to see more of it to make that 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 proclamation official that he's our best left back. But from what I've seen, I, I like it. Um. So, any predictions? Uh, score predictions, Andres. Um. Honestly, I'm very afraid of Sunday's match. <laughs> Even but after still, winning two in a row against that's them? That's what I was going to say. I still think that the mental game, we have like we have Spurs in – like we have them in the head. So I think it, it'll be uh, a 2-0 match where the score is, is a little bit more favorable to us than it should be, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, just a re- reminder, this will be at the bridge as well. So – I'm getting very interested to see how the the home fans react to to this past match, the last two really, um, but I don't know. I, I don't want to predict a draw, but I mean it would it would be very unfortunate. But I think a one nil victory it would it would calm my nerves a little bit. Um, before we wrap up, I saw this amazing quote on uh on reddit the other day and i think it kind of summarizes our thoughts on this uh front three or front four whatever on our attack perfectly um so this (laughs) this is from a reddit user poopy butthole underscore 99 so very wise words from poopy butthole um he said when cho dribbles around too much we say start Werner because he can run in behind. When Werner is in, in on the wing, uh, sorry, when Werner is on the wing and is completely useless, we say start Pulisic because he can dribble. When Pulisic dribbles but doesn't pass or shoot, we say start Havertz because he makes us play better as a team. When Havertz has a negligible presence in the box, we say start Lukaku because he can head the ball. When Lukaku gets no service, we say play Ziyech because he can cross the ball. When Ziyech crosses the ball into row Z, we say start Mount because he creates the most chances on the team. When Mount goes invisible on the field and offers nothing, we say start Cho because he has energy and can dribble. <laughs> the cycle repeats. And when I read that, I was like, wow, is this poopy butthole 99 or is this is this Play-Doh? Uh, I really couldn't <laughs> tell. They're, they're, they're indistinguishable at this point. Um, but... I I couldn't agree more with, with the way he I mean maybe some of the some of the you know some of the, the things he said was a little bit inaccurate but just the cycle of us not liking who's playing ask for someone else and then they come on and then not liking what they do asking for another person and it's just like we can't find our our best three right now and it's frustrating but anyway that was it for uh, for this week's episode. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um, again, uh, after the match, we do post these polls uh, like we just talked about today. This was our second time doing it, which was uh, it gives some pretty good insight on the fans. I was really uh, excited. We got forty votes on this poll. 
um, got some good interactions. If you guys see that next time, please retweet it, get it out there even more. Um, we've been going extra hard on social media lately, trying to increase our presence. Um, we would love your guys' help as well, retweeting our stuff, liking our stuff, um, you know, commenting, replying to our tweets helps out a lot um, in uh, getting our awareness up. Um, but yeah, hopefully next week uh, or next episode, it'll be a little bit more cheerful because we get a win against Tottenham, uh, our arch rivals. And until then, keep the blue flag flying high.